Perhaps the most controversial topic of discussion in our day revolves around truth. Opinions often blur the lines of an objective truth. Streaming platforms, social media, and other public forums allow individuals to project their truths upon the masses like never before. In the midst of woke, cancel culture, religious freedoms, political liberties, and social injustice, we attempt to search for and reveal the truth. This is Truth Revival. All right, all right. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Roman Hamilton. This is Season 2, Episode 11 of the Truth Revival Podcast. With me today, we got Mr. Nationwide, Paul Chapman. How are you today, Paul? Well, I snowshoed my way in here this morning. It was 70 degrees yesterday. We went to bed. It was 70 degrees, and we woke up to snow. What in the world is Welcome to Tennessee. <laughs> Welcome to Tennessee. <laughs> uh, we've got a young man in here today who knows a thing or two about um, different weather patterns, um, and that's uh, Mr. Bryce Choate. Yeah, well, uh, number one, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, so as you mentioned, uh, my name is Bryce. Um, I grew up in these mountains. I grew up you know, 15 minutes from where we are right now. Um, so um, I moved away for college um, after my sophomore year. Um, I ran track in college, and so... Um, crazy story. My coach, um, from Tennessee Wesleyan university actually took a job at Oral Roberts university in Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so after my sophomore season, um, we went to Oklahoma and talk about crazy weather patterns. I can only imagine. <laughs> uh, we only had a couple of times where we had to go to the shelter for tornadoes, but, um, oh and, uh, some flooding, um, our campus almost got flooded one time, um, which that was crazy. Uh, all the the Midwestern states were kind of affected a couple years ago. Um, but anyway, um, you don't realize how much you take for granted until you leave the mountains. Um, and we were talking earlier before the show, but um, there are no mountains <laughs> where I was. Ooh. And uh, coming on my way to the uh, studio here, um, I was actually recording the whole way here because I was like, man, I miss this. <laughs> I miss the mountains. And I. Uh. Um, I, I think everybody should get out of the mountains for a little bit. Um, I, I think, you know, absence makes the heart grow fonder. That's true. true. And it's so true. Um, you know, that was the same with my family, with my friends, with the mountains, you name it. When I went away for four years and came back, I was like, I never want to leave. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I love these hills, man. Home. I love, I love these mountains. It's home. This is home to us, guys. So, Bryce, yeah, you. Um, I remember it was a big deal when um, you transferred to. Do you say Oral Roberts? Yep. That because it's a Division One school. Is that correct? Yep. Uh, I know that was a huge deal. Like you made Teleco proud. Three seven three eight five. You know, representing <laughs> there. But uh, you know, Division One athlete and and Bryce. I remember back in the day. You may not even remember this, but I remember coaching you in junior pro basketball. You remember that? Oh, yeah. My goodness, what a throwback. That's crazy. And so, <laughs> wow. uh, yeah, he's making me feel like an old man today. That's that's funny. Yeah, yeah, that I was his basketball coach back in the day. You were probably my children's age. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it's good to have you. And so are you finished with school? No, um, I don't know if I'll ever be finished with school. <laughs> mm. <laughs> One um, of those, huh? Yeah, so um, I finished my track eligibility um, in 2021. Um, so I'm going to finish my ma- first master's in organizational leadership from ORU um, in April. So next month I'll be graduating. 
Um, but I already, yeah, yeah, thank you. So, um, I already started my second master's actually last week. <laughs> now, where are you taking so, that at? I'm a crazy person. Um, it's an online program at North Central University and it's actually in sports psychology. Okay, cool. Um, yeah. so once we get into my, my story, you'll understand why I'm going into the sports psychology realm. Um, okay. so, uh, found a passion through my struggles as many people, I'm sure, um, so I also just started a business, um, mental health collective for athletes. Um, last week officially got my LLC status. Uh, so, um, we're moving along. A lot of things have happened very quickly. Um, the Lord has been moving in just two months. Mm. Um, I mean, three months ago, if you had asked me what I was going to do with my life, I would have had a panic attack. Because <laughs> I would have been, yeah. I mean, I was, I, I in my mind, I was going to have two degrees that I wasn't going to use. I had no idea what I was going to do with them. Um, I felt like I had wasted six years of my life in college. Um, mm. Really, you know, my whole life, I was like, what is going on? And in a moment, that all changed. And now I know exactly where I'm going. I know exactly what God's going to use me to do. Um, I, I'm going to have, I know exactly what my degrees have helped me to, yeah. um, how they all play together. Um, and really all of that changed in one moment, um, which eventually led to my salvation. And then from that just kept going. And there's the, this momentum has just picked up. Yeah. That's uh, he's a, he's a lamp to our feet and a light into our path. You know, he knows what, what we need to do and where we need to be. And he strategically places us to where that will come to fruition in our lives. And it's amazing just to watch his pattern and his portrait of our life unfold as he paints it day by day. It's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. So, uh, so Bryce, we're going with this theme today of uh, running in the race. I, I'm reminded of some scripture, and as I read this, I want you to think about you as a track star. I mean, you would be able to give us a definite testimony and insight to and confirming this scripture but it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. It says, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receives the prize. When you competed, did you just halfway compete? Or did you just, you know, well, I'm just hoping not to lose today. Or <laughs> did you run to win? Oh, my gosh. the Those two perspectives, um, that's... In the world of track, there's no real two uh, two ways to look at it. You have to run to win. Um, in other sports, you see, I think you see in basketball or football, you know, UT is notorious for this. You know, they might get up at, at halftime and then they're up by 20 or 30. And then it's like you can see the perspective shift. They're not playing to win anymore. They're playing not to lose. Oh, yeah, yeah. And um, in track, you can't do that. And specifically, anyone out there that knows about the, uh, the world of track, um, I ran the 800 meters, which is a middle distance race. And it's like um, basically a half mile sprint. Mm. And uh, yeah. Wow. And so I just got sick at my stomach. When you said that. <laughs> uh, so once you get out in that track, you you have to be basically be going all out the entire race. Um, so just to give you a little idea, I would, um, so a track or an outdoor track is 400 meters, right? Um, so an 800 meter race is two laps. It's approximately half a mile. Um, so when I start a race, I have to go all out to get a good position. 
Um, Cause if you don't get a good position and we could, I mean, that's a sermon in itself. That's another strategy. Right. <laughs> that, that's a whole sermon right there, but you got to get out and get in a position, right? And then you have to get in the the first lane, get a good um, a spot in the, in the field. Um, and so that first 200 meters is almost all out. And then you can find the pace. Mm. And so Getting for a rhythm. Yeah. Right? And so there's a specific uh, goal pace that I was trying to run. Um, so at my best, I was trying to break 150, right? And so that's one minute 50 seconds. Yeah. Okay. And so um, you have that pace that you want to run uh, in an 800 meter. Um, most good at good 800 meter runners, you're going to run um, your first lap a couple of seconds faster than your second lap. Um, so for me, when I was trying to break 150, I was trying to run 54 for my first lap and then sub 56 for my second lap. Ideally, you know, 54, 56 is one minute, 50 seconds. So if I can run 54 and then break 56, I'll break 150. Um, and that would be a huge accomplishment for an 800 meter runner. And so anyway, um, back to the race, um, once you get in your position, you find that pace and then you carry that pace until, uh, for me, it was about 300 meters left in the race. And then whatever you have left, you just go. Um, so I would usually sit on the person in front until about 300 meters left to go. And then it's on, it's on. Yeah. <laughs> and I would hold on for dear life. Sometimes it was crash and burn. Um, sometimes it worked out. Um, and, 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 and Bryce, I'm sure that, you know, you would agree with this. There's a, you have your strategy for the race, but then you also have your, your pre-race routine. Oh yeah. Because the fuel that you put in your body is going to help hopefully enhance you know how your body performs mm -hmm. but how your body responds may or may not always you know depending on your rest depending on what you consume the day before and so there's almost a science it to, all factors in it yes. all it all yeah. factors into your race performance now what you just said there confirms scripture and i haven't even read it yet but we're in first corinthians 9 you you said when when i compete i compete to win it says so run that you may obtain you run to win. You compete to win. I say this, you know, with the, with the teams that I coach. I said, we play to win. Y'all remember Herm Edwards? Oh, yeah. What is it? That old Herm Edwards <laughs> quote? <laughs> we play to win the game, right? Because, Paul, when you guys, you coach your basketball team, you and Brad, do you do you play to, well, uh, you know, we, we just want to have a good showing, guys. No. You play to win, right? Now, granted, I think that most coaches know if they're up against a team or an opponent that just that just has more skill, right? I think about poor Patrick Ewing. I mean, you know, Patrick Ewing was a great ball player back in the day, um, and he played for um, who was the, the the team that he played for? He played for Georgetown, Georgetown in, in college. Yep. Georgetown. He was a great athlete. Got drafted by the Knicks, and poor Patrick Ewing. He should have won a championship with those Knicks. But you know who he played against? Michael Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> he played against Jordan. You know yeah. what I mean? And so all of those guys, they knew that Jordan was the man. But it's like, we're playing to win. You know, we're going up against Jordan tonight. So it's like, <laughs> if they lost, it's like, okay. They, but, but you play to win the game. And this, brother, this, this is what I was going to say. This confirms what you what you just said. It's First Corinthians nine twenty five, and every man 
that strives for the mastery mm. is temperate in all things. Bryce, you, I'm, I'm a, I follow you on uh, Strava. I've seen your paces. I've seen your runs. And I think, I think to myself, oh, my gosh, he's running at a level that I can't even imagine right now. <laughs> your training routine. You just talked about having a goal of 150, and you was able to break it down by each lap. And I'm, you talked about the pace and the positioning. You've worked on mastering your craft of running, right? Mm-hmm. You, you know the ins and the outs. And I'm sure that you could even break it down even further. But if in any aspect of our life we strive for mastery, Paul, in the uh, wiring world, I, we've talked about this too. You, know, you don't want to just be known as that guy that's the, that's the cheaper option. Right. You want to be known as that guy that if you want it done, if you want it done right, you call Paul Chapman. Right. You call Harvest Electric. In, in all of our lives, we strive for the mastery. But look here. Paul, the Apostle Paul is talking about the runners. He said, they run to win, they strive for mastery, but they do it for a corruptible crown. Mm. It doesn't mean anything. Now, now this would have been during the time of the uh, the Roman games, the Colosseum. The Apostle Paul would have understood a thing or two about athletic competition. And and they would have they would have put that that wreath, that that uh that crown uh, around their head. And and that might have been their their reward. And you know what would happen to that wreath over time? It would, you know, disintegrate. It would it would wither up. It would wither mm-hmm. up and die. A corruptible crown. But we, believers in Christ, we have an incorruptible crown. So what do we take from this? If we're serving the Lord Jesus Christ, we should serve him to win, to be the best but also strive for the mastery, grow in our walk with Christ. And Bryce, this is another thing. He says, I therefore run not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beats the air. I'm sure that you've probably saw someone when they're in oxygen deprivation. <laughs> okay. And they, it's like, you know, or, or maybe they're running and the, their, their, their legs are, are not moving properly or there's probably, you know, the, the aerodynamics of how you move through the air. I mean, do you think that all that stuff plays a factor in your time? You know, what about a guy that's, you know, 200 pounds versus a guy that's, you know, 100 what, what's your competitive running weight? Like what is a, a 160, 170 what, <laughs> I'm at 148 right now. So 148, but I, but at, at my best, I was around 156. Okay. Uh, when you consider muscle, I've since I stopped training, I'm not as uh, uh, I don't have as much muscle mass, so but I've you, lost some weight there. Yeah. But, the, but the science behind it, though, right? Somebody who is lighter and leaner should be more hopefully faster when it comes to somebody who's probably heavier or they're just you know power lifting or heavy you know a football player the the football player his muscles are built for the sprint and the collision the endurance runner his his uh his muscles are you know for for the endurance right mm-hmm. for, for the long race but the apostle Paul said, i don't i don't want to run aimlessly i want to run with a purpose right and um did your coach ever teach you about running techniques oh yeah 
Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> we, it was a point of contention for a long time because my running form, you can ask him to this day, he would, yeah, my running form, uh, my last 200 meters of an 800 meter race, I mean, it just fell apart. <laughs> uh, you could just tell. I mean, I, I'd have a good cadence, which is, you know, your steps per minute. Uh-huh. Um, I'd have a good form. And then that last 200 meters, once I started getting tired, you knew I was tired. Okay. Uh, my, my stride got long. I mean, it, it looked painful and it was, <laughs> it was painful. <laughs> and, uh, so, you know, w- once you get to that level where you're trying to shave milliseconds or, you know, tenths of a second, it's all about form. Yeah. Y- your form can make the difference between 148 and 147. And, um, and so really it's about how long can you keep your form? And at that level, that, that is an elite level, right? I mean, division one athletes, that's no, that's not scrubs. No. Oh yeah. That's the best of the best. Right. And, and it takes straight discipline to keep that form it mentally. Oh, it's everything. It's, it's you know? more of a it's, mental yeah. uh, track is so much more mental than physical. And, and you wouldn't think that because literally our whole sport is just conditioning, Yeah, that's <laughs> but true. it's, but it's so mental. Yeah. It's more mental conditioning than physical conditioning um, because you'll find uh, a lot of times you'll hit like a breakthrough. Like my sophomore season, I'll just give you an example. My last three races of my sophomore career, I started the season with a, a minute and 53 seconds PR. And um, for, I those who, for those who listen, PR means a personal record. Personal yeah, record. So that was my best time. And, um, my last three races, I got down to a minute and 52 seconds. And then I went down to a minute and 50 seconds. And then uh, I had a bad race, the finals at nationals. Um, so one, I ran a minute and 50.9 at my first race at nationals. And then you go to finals and I just fell apart. I mean, I was, I was sick. It just, uh, that was a bad day in general. Um, but then I ran a postseason race in the summer at actually at Vanderbilt, um, it's called the music city distance carnival. I ran against some, you know, pros. I mean, guys that ran a minute and 46 seconds, like some guys that were like, I had no business being in there. And which, I was which just, is, which is crazy to me. Cause he said, these guys are fast. They're running 146. He ran 150, four seconds. Oh, it's yeah. Isn't that crazy. That That's, four seconds yeah. could separate from the best from just, I mean, the average or yeah. somebody else. Didn't mean to interrupt. Keep going. Yeah, yeah. And so coming into that race, that's when I had run one minute, 50.9. I was coming in, let's break 150 because that's a huge mental barrier. Once you break, going back to my original point, um, some of these barriers are mental. So when I broke 152 for the first time, I was like, man, I'm I'm able to run this pace. I can do this. And so then I came in and ran 150 and I was like, oh my gosh, I can do this. Yeah. And so then 150 is another one of those mental barriers and I was like, okay, let's just do, let's just break 150 so that next season, because this was, again, this was the summer. I was like, next season, we can bring that momentum in and we're going to have a great junior season. So I go to Vanderbilt the night before my coach is like, I'm not going to be able to come. I'm sick. I'm like, oh crap. Uh, the stress levels immediately fly through the roof. <laughs> I'm like, I've never gone to a race without a coach there without, you know, before the race, he could calm me down. He could, you know, get me pumped up if I need to get pumped up. I mean, my coach knew me. He knew what I needed. Right. And uh, so it was just me and my family in Vanderbilt. And um, I was like, you know what? I've been training for weeks after the season. I didn't do this for nothing. Right. Um, so, again, we're going to go out there and we're going to do our best. And back to what we were talking about before, I knew I wasn't – or I, 
I was pretty confident I wasn't going to win that race. I mean, these guys had run 146, 147. I had run 150. Like my, my goal was to break 150 and that was winning for me. So going back to what we were talking about before, we're running this race to win, right? But my win is different than your win. Yeah. Mm. And so that's something that we need to think about. A lot of times perspective. yeah, Yeah. A lot of times we think that winning is getting gold. Well, yeah, for somebody, but like I might lose the race and still win Yeah, for myself Yeah, because my goal was to break 150. So if I break 150, in my mind, I won. And so I came into that race and I was like, okay, here's my strategy. I'm going to run 54 seconds for my first lap and then I'm going to hold on. Yeah, <laughs> And that's, that's all I have to do because those guys are going to run way faster. If I hold on to the pack, they're going to pull me in and we're going to run a PR. It's going to be great. Mm-hmm. So I run the first lap. I'm watch. You can. I have the recording. We can watch it after this video, <laughs> or after this podcast. And I'm literally checking my watch during the race because I'm like, okay, this is my pace. At 200 meters, I need to run 27. At 400 meters, I run, need to run 54. And then after that, at, at 300 meters left to go, I'm gonna make my move. At, after the first lap, I mean, I was in last, like maybe second to last. Coming around that uh, first curve of the second lap. I make my move, right? Uh-huh. And you see me, and this is not a brag. This was not, like, that's not what I'm trying to do. But I was passing everyone. I mean, I moved, and I moved confidently. And that's another thing. You can't, when you make those moves, you can't do it half-heartedly. You got to trust what you're You, you just, just have to trust. trust. You have yeah. to trust your training and say, okay, I'm going to leave it all out there. If I win, I win. If I don't, I need to leave that track knowing that I gave all I got, right? Right. And if I crash, my, this is what my coach told me. If you crash, okay, I can deal with that. But you need to try, right? And that's what we need to do. We need to give it all our best. And if we crash, then we crash. Yeah. But if we crash, we know we, we tried. Right. And so I, I went for it. And I mean, the guy in front was way out in front. And I was like, let me just try to catch him. So that whole back stretch, I caught up to him. And then I made the worst move you can make as a track runner. Oh no! I tried to pass him on the curve, and I did. I mm. passed him. I I took the lead with a, 150 meters left to go, and I was like, "Man, this is crazy. What is going on?" I mean, literally through my head, I was like, "I don't know what's happening, but I'm going to keep going." And so um, I, I saw the clock clock ticking. And I was like, "I can't be like these guys. Just must have ran slow." Because there's no way I'm winning this race and these guys are running that fast. Uh, I can't believe you passed him on the and, curve. Uh, oh, my gosh. It was so stupid. My coach was so mad. and Because uh, I could have won the race if I hadn't done that. Yeah. Um, and I saw the clock. I was like, there's no way that's real. And right before the line, somebody got me. So I, so I, I, I got second. But then I looked at the clock. It said a minute and 48 seconds, point seventy eight. Wow. You beat the 150. That was a two-second PR. That's huge in the yeah. 800. So you can see it. I mean, I, I'm yeah. not a, an emotional, like, I'm emotional, but I don't show my emotions. Right. You can see my emotions in that moment. Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, that was huge. Yeah. And, um, you know, one of my close friends at the time was a teammate, and uh, she called me, and I didn't answer. Obviously, I was doing my cool down, and she, her and her family left a voicemail. Um, where they were cheering and they said, go Bryce, go Bryce, cheering, cheering, cheering. That voicemail is still on my phone. Right. I delete my voicemails every year to keep it clean, but I saved that one. Yeah. Wow. And that was four years ago. 
and that voicemail is still saved on my phone. It's amazing and, those things in your life that that catapult you to the next level or or to the you know the Bible says we go from glory to glory to glory. Oh, and, if I hadn't run that race, I wouldn't have gone to D one. Yeah, because of that race, the the head coach at ORU felt comfortable bringing me on with a full scholarship. Wow, I went from Tennessee Wesleyan an NAIA school an NAIA school as a walk on. I had an academic scholarship. I didn't have any money right. coming from athletics to now my junior year. I'm on a full athletic scholarship at a division one school. Yeah. And they had just built a brand new track. I mean, it's beautiful. And I was like, what is happening? It, it, it was all, it was all for such a time as this. Cause let me tell you a little story. My son plays lacrosse for Limestone university in South Carolina. They're, they're probably the Kentucky, how Kentucky is in basketball. They're that in D2 lacrosse. They, Ooh. in the last 20 years, they've won like 86 or 89% of their games. <laughs> I mean, and, and they've won the national championship several times. They're legit. They're ranked number seven in the nation right now. And I think they play number 10, Lenore Ryan today at two. But so I'm watching, you know, my son's four and a half hours away. I don't get to go a lot. Uh, so I'm watching the game three weeks ago, right? <laughs> And a commercial comes on during the game about diversity and, and coming together. And I'm watching this thing, and I see Bryce on this commercial. And I'm like, I know that dude. He's from Teleco. I know him. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Truth Revival is brought to you by Senior Lopez Mexican Grill, 105 Mecapike, Teleco Plains, Tennessee. Paul, why don't you tell our listeners what's happening at Senior Lopez? Hey, take the family down Monday night for trivia, 6.30 to 7.30. Tuesday is my favorite day. Tuesday is Teleco Spirit Tuesday, where 10% of all proceeds go to the town of Teleco Plains, Rome, which is a great idea, and I love that. Bingo, Thursday night at 6.30. And Saturday night is live music from 6.30 to 8.30. So take the family down, relax, have a great meal where the food is fresh and the family is welcome. Come home for dinner at Senor Lopez. And now the continuation of Truth Revival. And I told my wife, I said, look at this. It's Bryce. This is crazy. So so that in that moment... Of, of you not even wanting to be in that race or, or not feeling like you belong, God put it in you to do that. And by being confident and going forth and trusting when you just let go and ran, he opened the door for you to get to ORU, to that D1 school that you thought you didn't belong at. And let's be real, a lot of people in our area, you don't belong there. There's no athletes in Teleco. There's nothing good comes out of Teleco. Let's just be real one time. Right. So it's like scripture, scripture says, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Yes. Can any good you thing know? come out of Nazareth? So, so you get catapulted to Oklahoma. Oh, oh. and that was, that was a tough summer too. Cause oh. my family, nobody leaves Teleco. I mean, yeah. That's the small town mm-hmm. mindset. Like yes. you just don't leave. Yeah. So my, my coach <laughs> had to sit down with my parents. Um, cause this was uh, the same coach at Tennessee Wesley and went to ORU and I followed him. Right. So he had to sit down with my parents at the patio in Madisonville. We had a conversation. I still remember that to this day. And he was like, I will take care of your son. Uh, if As long as he is at ORU, I will be there. Yeah. And whatever he needs, I will take care of. And that's the, I mean, that tells you the kind of person he is. Yeah. Um, so that's another, a t- another tangent. Find good people. Yeah. 
find good people in this life and hold on to them. Yep. Surround if, yourself with if you, them. If you take care of good people, good people will take care of you. That's it. You're right there. Soar with the eagles. Yeah, soar with the right. eagles. Yeah, God places the people in your life you need. I was like, look at this. This is amazing, you know. So, but that's what that's what you know. That's see, one of the connections that we're making here, right? You know, God is, has elevated Bryce. Uh, Bryce, I want to uh, I want to try to back up here. Uh, are you familiar with the uh, Chariots of Fire? What, like from the Bible, the or movie, the movie? No, Chariots of Fire. He's a movie guy. He Do always, me a favor. Yeah. You need to watch this movie. It's called chariots of fire in it there's it's this is a true story about this guy named uh eric lydell he's a scottish sprinter and i know that i know who he is but okay. i haven't seen the movie so, so you know his story right isn't this the story of like trying to run the mile and they there was a time that they said couldn't be done but he was able to achieve it he was a um he, he was born to scottish missionaries and they were trying people are trying to get him to to follow after god's plan for his life and there's a quote in there that's just astounding. He said, I believe God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. So when I run, I feel his pleasure. That's very powerful. You know, Bryce, and I've, I've thought about you and I've wanted to make that connection. You know, God made you fast. But when you ran, you know, you were, you were probably trying, you know, running for you, running, running for your family. Um, that was a corruptible crown, right? Would would you say that? Oh yeah. You know, I'm sure that you know achieving those milestones and, and breaking through those barriers and getting those 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 PRs and and then there's I mean I got to keep on going right here in First Corinthians chapter nine because this just confirms again what you're saying. You know, Division one athlete, he says, but I keep my body and bring it into subjection. Like as an athlete, you have to be disciplined. Oh yeah. Bryce, I discipline am, was my middle name. I, I mean, a, <laughs> listen, I am a junkie for Mountain Dews and Little Debbies. Oh, Bryce, those are like my kryptonite, and I love that stuff. You know, I I fancy myself an athlete, and I I wish that I had had your courage to pursue athletics, but that wasn't God's plan for my life. And this could help with your um, with your um, your new venture, and in, in your uh, your business. There are so many athletes in high school that that's all they have. That's all they know. That's mm. mm. true. And then one day it's over. Yeah. It all comes to an end. It, Everyone has to face that reality at some point. Even and, as a Division One athlete. Yeah. Competing at the highest level, it's over. Unless you go into the Olympics or unless you go into some professional. And even that ends sometime. Uh, and then how do you deal with it? How do you, how do you transition from being an athlete to just – somebody else i struggled with that that was something that i had difficulty with and i can't even imagine it at your level and you talking about the science behind it and all these you know the, the um the, the techniques that you that you utilize you know we i was just from teleco you know what i mean we just it, it was like you just rub some dirt on it you're good there ain't no telling how many times <laughs> i played with concussions oh yeah you know like yeah but from, from teleco i can't imagine coming in the house level but but still there was a fire inside of me bryce and i, I had to suppress that the athlete inside and and that I didn't like who I was becoming. Mm. The man in the mirror that I saw was not that competitor yeah. that had that fire inside. And so um, I discovered uh, triathlons. Mm. Wish that I had discovered that sooner in my life. Discover, discovered cycling, R competing 
at that and and doing these races and 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 then I also Bryce I'm 250 pounds. I am not made to run. Nah. I am made <laughs> I am made to lift heavy things. I can and fill the hole on the line. Good grief! Man. <laughs> you know, like I, I got to a, there was a point where I was like doing heavy lifting, and I was starting to get big, but like I I didn't like how that made me feel. Mm. I wanted because I, I was I was like I was sweating a lot everywhere I went. I was just sweating, and my my pants were tight and everything. I was like I don't like how it makes me feel. So I tried to start losing weight, and I found that you know like as you're training the the, the, the if you put garbage in your body. It, that's what it's not going to produce at a high level. But if you start, you know, trying to like right here, I bring my body under subjection. Mm. You know, when you, when you start learning the discipline mm. of the craft and striving for the mastery, then you'll learn that your body will respond. Yeah. You'll achieve higher and higher levels. And I'm sure that you could probably testify to that. But what we're talking about here is the, this is the corruptible crown. Bryce, you've discovered the incorruptible crown, mm, yes. right? So do you want to lead us into that and tell us, you know, about how you came to faith in Christ and maybe how you discovered that the corruptible crown that you were pursuing after just kind of left you empty inside or left you hollow, oh, yeah. looking looking for more. So I'm going to let you just share that testimony and then we're just going to keep on going. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, first off, I want to say you can pursue uh, a godly crown, an incorruptible crown, and be an athlete. Um, it's a switch in perspective. I pursued the corruptible crown for a long time. Mm. And, you know, if you look at, um, being an Olympian or, you know, winning a, a national title and you think of it as building your own reputation, that's a corruptible crown. Mm. But if you look at it as, you know, I'm going to win this championship so that I can get to a platform to share God's message. Yeah. That's an incorruptible crown. Yeah. You're, you're, you're pursuing a championship, but it's for a different reason. You're using his, your gift for his glory. Exactly. Yep. And and you see a lot of professional athletes now speaking out. I mean, you have post-game conferences where they're like, all glory to God. Yeah. And, and that's how, you know, you can use your passion for athletics and your sport to pursue an incorruptible crown. Yeah. And, and I, I pretended to do that. A lot of us do that. A lot of us, you know, I heard a pastor say one time, we do our own, um, we pursue our own goals and we slap God's name on it. That's the truth, bro. To get approval. That's true. You know what I mean? Like, like <laughs> we, I would win a an act, like, like I would be an all American and I wasn't saved, but I grew up in the church. So it was like, I was supposed to be saved. So I would put out a post and say, thank God that I'm an all American. Mm. But really I was just saying that so that other people would know that I was an all American yeah. It wasn't really to give God glory. Right. Mm. That was just there so that it would have his approval and so that my reputation as a Christian would be intact. Yeah. The real intent behind posting that was so that people would know I was an all-American. Yeah. Mm. Exactly. You see you see the difference? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um there's so much I want to say. Um so Well actually this uh, we can record for ninety six hours straight. So listen, I, we're I, good. I love the fact that he said we just slap God's name on it. We do that so I, I can remember Bryce, no joke. When I played music and was traveling all over the country, uh there came a point in my life to where it became my God and my idol. 
And I was just slapping God's name on it because we were a quote unquote Christian band, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, my heart was so far away from where it needed to be with Jesus. But I was on that stage every night, just letting it all hang out, you know, and mm-hmm. and and you slap that name on it and everybody thinks you're good. Oh, it makes you feel better. Yeah. But you're so broken and empty inside that and nobody knows it except for you and the one who gave you life. Yeah. And you fool everybody yeah. else. Oh, yeah. Except you can for the- fool everybody, but you can't fool him. No. You, you can't fool yourself no. either. Wow. No, you're right. That's true. This is deep, guys. So uh, back to back to my journey. Um, so, again, I grew up here. I grew up in the mountains of Teleco Plains. I grew up going to a church, Mount Harmony Baptist. Um, I mean, my family, <laughs> my aunt plays the organ. My mom plays the piano. My mama leads the choir. My dad's a deacon. My uncle's a deacon. My papa was a deacon while he was here with us. Wow. I mean, that I grew up in the church. Yeah. yeah. Solidified and, in the church. I mean, oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> and so I, when as soon as I was born, I mean, I was in the church the next week, probably the next day. I mean, right. yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, one of the problems with that, and it's not really a problem unless you make it a problem, is you don't get to decide. The decision is made for you. And... The thing that's, about the thing true. about the thing about getting saved and becoming a Christian, you have to make that decision. Mm, it's personal. You can't some right. nobody can make that decision for you. Right. But when you grow up in the church, you're expected. Like there's an expectation put on you. And I could talk about expectation for hours too. It's like being indoctrinated. Yeah. And so we are actually. And so <laughs> you know, um growing up in Bible school, you're like, there's gonna come at a point, the age of accountability is gonna come. And when it comes, you got to be ready. And so it was like, I was just waiting for it. And so when that time come, I thought that time had come when I was seven years old. Mm. I, I, can, I can tell you exactly where I went. I went to the back room of our church. I spoke with our pastor. I spoke with my dad. And I was like, okay, I want to get saved. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't because I felt, you know, a passion or a commitment it's because I didn't want to go to hell and it's because I thought that was the right thing to do. So, so I said that I got saved, I got baptized, but there wasn't a change. Mm. I mean, I, I, I personally think I was just too young and I didn't understand it fully. And, but once you do it, like it's hard to go back and do it again. Yeah. Because, right. because then you, then you look like a hypocrite, right? Yeah. Right. Like, how do you do that? Yeah. So, so yeah. literally that was, I was seven years old. I lived for 18 years pretending. It's mm. rough. 18 years. Wow. Yeah. The last six years were so hard mm. because that's when I really got into the world and that's when I got my track career. That's when I was traveling that's when I, I went to a Christian university. If you don't know anything about ORU, I mean, it's like, <laughs> if you're not a Christian, like, don't go there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, just don't, just, just please save yourself the trouble. Yeah. Um, and so it got worse when I went, honestly. I, I, I had this expectation in the back of my head, but I didn't have the true identity. Mm. And so I had to portray myself as a Christian so that I could fit in. And so for six years, That's I was pretending, misery, right? yeah. and so six years I was trapped in this other personality mm-hmm. and I didn't know how to get out because I couldn't, this is great. Cause I couldn't, cause I couldn't admit that I wasn't a Christian. Cause then it was like my whole life was a lie. You know what I mean? Like that would hurt my family. 
that would or in my mind it it didn't it wouldn't it didn't actually mm-hmm. hurt my family but it in my mind we build up these lies in our head mm-hmm. and the devil builds up these lies in our head that we're like if i come out and i say i'm not a christian that's going to that's going to hurt my family too much yeah, yeah. that's going to hurt my reputation too much so i just kept holding on and you know back to back to my struggles um you know i, I had struggled with my identity for so long that i can remember driving home from school in high school on Mecca Pike. You've driven it many times going towards uh, Etowah and I live on Gamble Gap. Yep. So on Mecca Pike one day from school, I was driving about 70 miles per hour <laughs> and you don't do that on Mecca Pike. That's true. Yeah. That's a little, um, yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> just a little more backstory. My brother just a few years before had wrecked on Mecca Pike and almost lost his life. I mean, that's a huge part of his testimony. Yeah. Do, you, do you know who the first person was on that on the scene there? No way. I was the first. Pro- I helped pull Bri- uh, Brandon. Brandon. I helped pull Brandon out of that car. Really? Yeah. And, well. and so I was driving home on Mecca Pike, and the thought came into my mind. I could drive off and just end it right now. Because I was tired of it. I was. And you want to know what else? We see all these celebrities that are rich successful quote unquote successful and then they end their lives and we're like how could they do that Mm -hmm. that was me i was valedictorian i was voted best all around i was i went to state three years in high school i was going to you know i had a full academic scholarship to tennessee wesleyan i had it all and i wanted it to be over yeah and it's funny that you say that because i remember when i moved back here um i started following telco basketball the high school basketball team a ton and I remember watching you play. And, and the first I'm time. I'm sorry you had to see that. No, man, listen. <laughs> the, the, the first time I remember seeing you, it, it was on the, the, the end where the trophy cases are. Guy shot a layup and, and missed it. And you went through the roof to put that thing back in. And I thought, my God, who is this dude? <laughs> yeah, He can I, leap out of the gym. Well, when I coached him in junior <laughs> pro, I, you know, you see those little kids. And Bryce was just a little wiry thing. Yeah, you know. Oh, I was I was a track athlete on the basketball court. You could tell. I I mean, I just my favorite part of being a basketball player was uh, fast break. Yes, and being on defense. If somebody got a steal, I was like, I'm going to get that ball back. (laughs) They're not going to they're not going to score on us. I I don't care how how far ahead of they are. I'm going to catch them. I'm going to block it or steal it. They are not scoring. He was that guy, and so so. From that moment when I saw him leap out of the gym and put that ball back, I started paying attention to him. You know, I watched him. And 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 some of that time in my life was when my grandmother had Alzheimer's and and so I, I got to meet your mom. And she's just been a total blessing to my family. But through watching all that, you know, and paying attention to you, I thought you were one of those guys who had it all together. From the outside looking in. Oh, I was really good at painting a pretty picture. Yeah, from the outside looking in, it's like, this dude's legit. He's smart. He's fast. He's got it together. He's humble. He's well-mannered. He's going to be a success. That's what you think. From the outside looking in, that's what I thought. So I never knew mentally where you were, you know, living that Oh, nobody life. did. Yeah. My mom didn't know. My yeah. parents didn't know. I, I struggled with that my whole college career, and mm. it just got worse. Yeah. And, um, you, 
after I let's go let's go back and talk about why it got worse uh, for a minute. Um, so I, I transferred to Oral Roberts University right after my sophomore year. I was like, man, I just ran 148. I'm going to have the best season. I'm going to go, you know, compete for a national championship at the Division One level. No, God had God had different plans. <laughs> um, I think God sometimes allows us to experience pain for our benefit. Um, and I might be wrong there, but that's totally fine. Um, but um, my first season at ORU, um, we were going into our outdoor season. We were about to have our, I think it was our first outdoor meet at University of Tulsa. And we had stopped at Subway to get a to sandwich, you know, talk about fuel. I was going to, I was going to eat right. I was going to get my fuel on the way to the track meet. And I took one bite and I swallowed it and it wouldn't go down. And it hurt so bad. And I was like, what in the world is going on? So I took another bite and it was still there. And I took another bite and it was still there. And eventually I, I just struggled through. I was like, eh, it's, it's nothing. And I went on, I competed. I was okay. It wasn't a great race. And then spring break was the next week and I went home and it just kept getting worse. I mean, it got to the point where water would hurt to swallow. To go down. And I was like, what is going on? And so eventually after about three days, I told my mom, I was like, there's something going on. And uh, so we went to see a GI doctor. Um, They were like, eh, it's just a hiatal hernia. You'll be fine. And so then they did a CT scan and they found a mass in my chest. And, um, it was, um, attached to my aorta. It was underneath my trachea and it was in front of my esophagus. Um, wow. and, uh, so they're like, we have no idea what it is. We don't know why it's there. Um, but we're going to do some blood work. We're going to do some different tests five months later. Um, and, um, they were like, eh, we can't figure it out. Let's just take it out. I'm like, okay, you could have done that five months ago, but le- okay. <laughs> um, I mean, they did two biopsies. Um, you know, one week they're like, no, it's fine. The, another, the next week they're like, yeah, it's lymphoma. Um, the next week it's, ah, no, it's fine. Um, eventually, like, we can't figure it out. We're just going to take it out. Um, thank God it was benign. It was some, you know, immune system response to a fungal infection. And it, they took out as much as they could. Um, they did minimally invasive. They went in through my side and... Um, you know, um, I was in Chicago a week later, Holy cow! um, on a, on a trip for some NCAA committees that I was on. And, you know, I was very fortunate. Um, and I, I thank God that it happened honestly, because, um, those five months I gained my best friend. Um, she was going through hip surgery and we went through that together. Yeah. Um, and you know, taking time off from track allowed me to get into some of those NTA committees. I went to Orlando for a a forum and that led to me getting on another committee. And, um, that ended up me, uh, you know, now I'm the vice chair of the division one student athlete advisory committee. And I serve on division one council, um, which is the, the, you know, the top legislative uh, body within the NCAA. I get to vote on yeah. legislation within the NCAA. From Teleco. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> that's, how I, that's how you saw me on a commercial. Because yeah. through that committee service, I did a commercial with them talking about diversity and inclusion. How and, cool, man. Yeah. Um, if I hadn't had chest surgery, I wouldn't have had the time to do all that. Yeah. yeah. And so it's funny how some of the worst moments in your life really aren't the worst moments in your life. Yeah. God has a plan. Yeah. But in the moment, it feels like it. Yeah. You're like, man, this hurts. Mm-hmm. I don't know why this is happening to me. But now I can look back and say, 
Thank God. Yes. Yeah. There's a scripture for that. That which is meant for your harm, God turns out for your good. Yeah. So. Romans eight twenty eight. <laughs> Romans eight twenty eight. That's my that's my life scripture. That's and we good. know that all things uh, work together for good to them that mm. love God. You know, God like this purpose. Uh, Amen. Yeah. Uh, now this the key piece is that for those who love God, right? Yeah. Like it's not for everybody, but for those that love God. Yeah, mm. there, there's a stipulation there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we like to skip that part. Oh yeah, we do. Hold on. <laughs> yeah, we do. Um, and so, um, anyway, I had chest surgery. Um, you know, coming into my uh, that was my junior season. I was coming into my senior season, and um, I was like, okay, we're gonna have a great year. We're gonna make a comeback. No. Uh, we came back too hard or, you know, there's a bunch of different factors um, that led to me having Achilles injuries. So I couldn't have a season. I couldn't have a good season that year. Um, so I was like, man, that sucks. Well, I got a, a red shirt for that season I lost for uh, my uh, chest surgery. So I was like, okay, let's come back for a fifth year. <laughs> yeah, Let's try it again. Well, my fifth year was 2020. Nothing happened in 2020, right? Yeah, COVID. Um, so I was about to do my first race in two years when they shut down the season for COVID. What? what? Wow. <laughs> like, why is this happening? Wow. So then I got a year back for COVID, right? They're like, everybody gets a year. You can come back. So then I came back for a six year. <laughs> wow. so, so I was a six year student athlete. Um, I started my master's getting it paid for. I'm like, man, this is great. Um, I, I worked as a graduate assistant in the athletic department at the same time. I was getting some more experience, getting some other things. I was, I was, um, you know, on the outside looking in, I was having great success. I hated my life. Hated it. Absolutely hated it. And, um, anyway, I came back from my third comeback season <laughs> and it wasn't as great as you would think. Um, uh, this time it wasn't physical. It was mental. Um, the depression had just gotten so bad that I couldn't function. Um, and I can remember very clearly running at UT Arlington and uh, Texas Arlington. And um, I had a terrible race. I didn't finish because my calf was hurting. Um, I, I wanted to quit. But my coach from Tennessee Wesleyan, I mean, that guy has saved my life literally. Um, when someone, uh, I won't say their name cause I don't want to, they said I wasn't mentally tough enough, basically in a moment where I already hated myself to hear that, I, I wanted to quit. Right. Yeah. And so we got home that night and we, if you didn't know, ORU does not have a lot of money, so we don't fly, we drive. Yeah. So we got home uh, probably midnight, one o'clock um, in the morning, because we drive home as, as soon as the meet is over. And uh, my coach had driven me to my car because I parked at a different place. And um, I sat in his car and cried for three hours. And he pulled me back off the ledge that night because I wanted it to be over. And anyway, I, I kept fighting through that season. Um, it was still just not good. Um, mentally, um, I just couldn't compete, uh, at the level that I wanted to. And so I ended my career running. I ran a minute and 54 seconds, my last race as a division one student athlete. I never broke a minute and 50 seconds the rest of my career. 
mm-hmm. after my sophomore year. Oh, wow. Um, and I hated that. I was like, man, I wasted six years of my life doing this. Uh, in my head, I was like, I wasted so much time pursuing this track thing, right? But what I didn't see is all the different opportunities that it afforded me, mm-hmm. right? Because because of my track career, I didn't, you know, win a medal, but I, you know, started serving on NCAA committees. I, I found some of my best friends, uh, you know, coach, my coach was, you know, I mean, he's family at this point. Um, and, and all of those things came together to bring me here, even though I didn't win that, you know, that crown, right. so to speak. And so anyway, I finished my eligibility. I still had a year left of, uh, my master's degree, um, and um, I eventually was contacted and was like, hey, there's this job at South Dakota State. Um, you might want to apply because I knew the athletic director at South Dakota State through some NCA committees. And so I emailed them and I was like, hey, I heard you have a job open. I might be interested. Within a few weeks, I had an interview. They offered me the job. And at that point, my mind, if you talk to any professionals about depression, the first thing that they'll talk about is it, it feels like you have a, a mental fog. Mm. And that's, I mean, that's a perfect description. I I felt like I mentally just wasn't capable of functioning. Um, I'll give you this. Uh, I called my coach at one point and I was like, there's something wrong with me. I can't do my times tables anymore. Like I, I, and I was not joking. Like I would get to the eights and the nines and I couldn't do it. Now, remember I was a valedictorian in high school. I wasn't like dumb, right? <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. math was my favorite subject. Yeah. I could do my times tables. I promise you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Bryce, I, I know a, uh, there's a statistic that I had read just here recently, or, or maybe it's a scientific study, but it said that at elevated heart rates or under a certain amount of duress, like when your heart rate is above a hundred beats per minute and you're under, under, under stress, uh, your, your brain functioning is reduced. Like there's certain, you know, things that you, you can't, you can't process because you're under so much stress, even simple things. And, um, and you were probably just under stress and, you know, or depression yeah, or you, just the expectations, the, the weight of the world is, is, is on you at that time. So this is, this is good. Keep going. Yeah. And you talk about identity, right? He, uh, this is what I was wanting to talk about earlier, but this is a great time to bring it up. Um, you talk about your athletic career ending and what do you do next? Well, I had reached that point. Yeah. And I had reached that point in a time where I needed to find a job. I needed to figure out what my life was going to look like. And I was an overthinker. So I was like thinking constantly about everything, trying to figure out all the answers all at once before I made a decision. Mm. So I was like, let me figure out my entire life as a 25 year old before I get a job. Because you're the guy that has it all together. Exactly. And everybody expects that. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, All those expectations. And then my track career is over. So that's a huge part of my identity just gone. I'm like, well, what do I do? So uh, when they offered me the job, I was like, I I literally talked to my mom. I was like, I don't know what to do. I, I, I think in theory, it's a good idea. You know, it's a full-time job. Like, you don't get those opportunities coming out of college. Right. Um, especially within an athletic department. The, the world of college sports is just so um, exclusive. Um, it's, you it's really, you know, you, you got to you yeah. work your way up yep. to get into those full-time jobs. You got to in, get internships. You got to get the right, know the right people. Exactly. Yeah. 
So it's like, you know, in theory, it's a good idea. I don't know what I'm going to do with my career. So, you know, I could just go there for a year, see what happens. And then if I like it, I can stay. If I don't, I can leave. So eventually I was just like, okay, I can't make a decision. So I'm just going to say yes. So that, you know, that's what's expected of me. So I went to South Dakota. <laughs> me And you talk about how good this guy is. My coach drove with me, with my U-Haul. He drove my car when I drove the U-Haul. And we went to Brookings, South Dakota together to move me in so that I could start this job, right? Uh, I spent two weeks there. Um, I would go into my office and I would sit down. And it was during the summer, so there's not a lot to do. I was an athletic academic advisor. There's just nothing to do. And this was a new position that they were opening. They were adding to their staff. So literally, there was almost nothing for me to do, which is not good when you're going through what I was going through. Yeah, that's true. Because <laughs> yeah. the idle mind is the devil's playground. Amen to that. And so I would go into my office and I would sit there and I'd be like, well, I'm screwed. I would, she would, my, my supervisor, wonderful people. I mean, the city, the town of Brookings took such good care of me. I mean, they are family and I only knew them for two weeks. They are such great people. Um, and I, I spent two weeks there. I would come into my office, and she had given me a list of just the names of the athletes I would work with. I was like, okay, let me try to read some of these names and remember of them. I would read one page about 10 athletes, and I would forget all of them instantly. I, I couldn't remember any of them. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, this is a guy, you're talk, talking about myself, who... I boasted about how good my memory was. Like, like I would, uh, I mean, I, I was a 4.0 student most of my college career. I was like, like this is what I do. <laughs> and I couldn't remember 10 names. I was like, man, I'm screwed. I can't, I, I'm going to fail. I, like, these student athletes are going to see how much of a phony I am. Like, I don't deserve to be here. There are so many better people that could be doing this job and take care of these student athletes. It's not me. And so after two weeks, I, I went in and talked to my supervisor. I was like, I'm freaking out. I can't do it. Uh, I think it'll be better off. You will be better if I walk away. Wow. And that was the lowest point I've ever had. Mm. You talk about somebody who brought me in, took a chance on me because I had no experience, and then I have to walk in and say, I can't do this. You know how hard that was? (laughs) Yeah, I can imagine. And this is how great they are. Their athletic director looked at me in the face and said, put me down as a reference. I will get you your next job. He said, take care of yourself. I care more about you as a person than as a staff member. I will get you your next job. Go take care of what you need to take care of. How about that? Mm. So long story short, I moved back to Tulsa. I lived with the coach, the, the coach that drove me up there. I lived with him for a few weeks. And I was like, okay, we're going to start working on this. Um, I'm going to find me a therapist. I'm going to like get some help. Remember, I'm an overthinker, right? <laughs> so it took me five weeks of looking through therapists, looking through their credentials. <laughs> Can you imagine that? And I'm like, which My therapist Lord. should I go to? Uh, and I'm like, I, I, I don't know. So I never did, right? <laughs> Eventually, um, I just moved back home. I was like, I can't do it. I just moved back home to here to Tennessee. And my mom... I literally, as a 25-year-old, my mom had to take me to the doctor. Mm. And we went and saw my uh, primary care physician. And she's like, yeah, I think you have depression. (laughs) I'm like, really? (laughs) Shocker. (laughs) Hello. I've been crying out for every year. (laughs) 
<laughs> and, uh, you know, I described how as a high school student athlete, or a, as a high schooler, I had driven home and I wanted to die. Mm. I didn't want, I, let's, let's say it this way. I didn't want to die, but I didn't want to live. And so it was a slow fade from that day on make a pot. Yeah. And my what, mom, mm. meanwhile, my mom is sitting behind me in tears because she had no idea. Yeah. Oblivious. And I had, been, I had been suffering for six years and nobody knew. Mm. Besides maybe my coach. My coach knew everything about me. He knew, he knew more about mm. me than I knew about myself. Yeah. And um, that's when I started to get help. Um, so I saw a therapist for months. And then um, in January 18th, 2022, my birthday, um, <laughs> I was on my way. Um, I, I had a book, a flight booked to go to Indianapolis for the NCAA convention, which is huge deal. Like that's where we go and we do real work. Yeah. As the NCAA, as NCAA committee members. And I had COVID. Uh, let's go back a little bit. The week before my grandfather passed away. I mean, this was my hero and he passed away. And then we got COVID. All of us got COVID after the funeral. So for a week leading up to this trip, I had lost my grandfather, went to his funeral, got COVID, and then now I had to go, like while I'm struggling with my identity, struggling with depression, can't, don't feel like I can function, now I have to go to Indianapolis and represent all of Division One student-athletes as their vice chair of the, this committee and vote on legislation and lead my committee. Put on a happy face. You talk about scared. Mm, yeah. So at three o'clock in the morning is when I started packing. <laughs> yeah. And my mom was in there and she helped me pack. She had to help me pack because I couldn't do it. I looked at my clothes and I was like, I don't know what to wear. I was so lacking mentally that I couldn't even think about what to wear. I couldn't put a shirt with a pair of pants. Mm. She had to do it for me. She had to pack my clothes. She had to drive me to the airport. And on the way to the airport, I was like, you know what? I just had COVID. And this was, <laughs> that day was the day that I was allowed to go back into society. That's when my isolation was supposed to end. Like yeah. literally to the day. Yeah, your quarantine was over. And I was like, you know what? I could just tell them that I'm not feeling good, that I still have COVID, that I can't go. On the way to the airport, I was like, you know what? No, nah, I don't feel like it. But I felt obligated, so I went through with it. Yeah. And that day is when my life changed. <laughs> you talk about fog. I talked about how foggy my mind was and my memory was so terrible. I can tell you every detail of that day. I could tell you that I woke up on time and my mom woke up late, which is backwards because I would usually wake up late and she would have to wake me up. I can tell you that there was snow on the ground and our, our car was covered in ice. And so my dad came out with his camo overalls and we had to shovel the ice off on our own. I can tell you that we went to McGee Tyson Airport and I left from gate B5. I went to Atlanta Airport and I left from gate B16. On the flight to Indianapolis, I sat on 25E uh, the lady sitting next to me in 25 uh, F, I can tell you her name is Clara. She used to have an Indian or, or a Japanese restaurant in Indiana. She was on the way to go to Indiana because uh, she was going to a funeral. Her Japanese restaurant was named Satama because her husband is from an area called Satama in Japan. 
So we went to Indianapolis together, and on the flight, I gave my life to Christ. How about that? <laughs> because, because I found an article that was talking about overthinking, and I read that article. I had read it months before, and I read that article, and I was like, man, that makes sense, and it clicked. Mm. Like, in a moment, the shackles were broken loose. Mm. Praise God. And I felt like I was floating, which is super ironic because I was literally on a plane oh, flying. Yeah. yeah. And like, <laughs> I felt like I was, uh, I can't tell you how I felt. I felt like I was, like my eyes relaxed because I felt like I was working so hard, thinking constantly all the time about everything. Like if I had come in here before this conversion, I would have thought about what I was going to say when I started this conversation what I was going to say in the middle and then how I was going to end it. And then I would think about what you would say to what I was going to say. And then I would try to guide this conversation to the expected end so that I could end it and then get out of here. <laughs> That's how hard I was thinking constantly. And you, yeah. you wonder why I was felt so exhausted all the time. Right. Yeah. Mm. And in that moment I stopped and I started writing in my journal. I kept the journal on my phone. I started writing, and I was writing as I was thinking. I wasn't thinking about it anymore. I was just typing as words came into my mind. I mean, that you can't. You needed like an encryption key to read that journal because it was just crazy. Like I was just writing as it came in, and somewhere in that mess of words, I said, um, "I'm going to start working on my mind today." Um, I started using these tools from this article and it's already working in two minutes. And then I said, um, uh, well, I'll explain this. I saw my life kind of flash before my eyes. I know it's cliche, but I saw all those things. I saw my degrees. I saw my chest surgery. I saw that my committee service and I saw how it all worked together to get me to that moment. And that's when I knew God was real moment of clarity. Yeah. Like I knew, uh -huh. like, like I knew a lot about God, but in that moment I knew it was real. Yeah. Cause I was like, there's no way all these things happened on accident. Mm. There's no way my chest surgery was an accident that led to all these different things. My track career brought me to this point, And then my coach went to ORU and I followed him to ORU. And that's how I became a division one athlete. And because I'm a division one athlete, now I'm serving on all these committees. I have my best friends. Like there's no way you can tell me that was an accident. Right. You, you will never convince me for the rest of my life. And so as I'm writing in my journal, I said, I am dedicating my life to Christ today. I don't know what that means but start now. And as soon as I type that, I'm convinced that's when I got saved. Boom. Mm. And I can tell you that when I, when I landed, I was, I, I was so excited that I was like <laughs> writing in my journal as I was walking to my Uber. I love it. And I was like, yeah. I was like describing, I was trying to describe what I felt like before so that I wouldn't forget. Like I was, t I was describing what I, how I was thinking, my thought process. I, I literally, I wrote at the end of it, I was like, I was even thinking so hard about like walking that I would think about every step that I took. Mm. Wow. Like, you know, when we walk, we don't think about our steps. We're just like, okay, let's move forward. And then your body like yeah. reacts. Like that's how you learn to walk. I was thinking about every step. And so I, it was like everything that I did, I was thinking so hard and that's why I was working so slowly. And, um, anyway, like I can remember, you know, I, I went to the airport or I went to the hotel 
I spent that day with some of my friends that I hadn't seen in years because we had been doing everything virtually like everyone else. And, you know, we went out that night to uh, a little uh, restaurant and we played games. There's an arcade, a bunch of different things. And I, like, I can tell you all about that week. And for the first time I talked to someone that week, one of my fellow committee members, and she was talking about her battle with depression and how hard this past year was. And every single thing she said was exactly what I had been going through. Mm. Tell me that's an accident. Mm. And for the first time, like up until that point, I'd been, seeing, I'd been seeing a therapist for five months and I hadn't talked about my depression in depth because I didn't know how to. Right. And as soon as she like shared that, I was like, man, I, like I know how to talk about what I've been going through because now she's talking about what she's going through. And that's why we have to open up about our mental health. Because until we do, nobody else is going to understand how to talk about it. Yeah. And so from that moment, you know, the last day of our committee, I got up and I was, I was, we were about to close the meeting and I asked if I could say something and I shared my story and I shared how division one, you know, my committee service literally changed my life. I talked about how it saved my life because now, you know, on my way to this committee, I gave my life to Christ. Like if it wasn't for my service on that committee, I wouldn't be here today. Mm. And as soon as I said that, another member stood up and she said, I was on suicide watch last year. And if it wasn't for my coach helping me through it, I might not be here. Mm. And every second of every day, almost every second of every day, I run into someone and I share my story and then they share their struggles. And I'm like, man, I get it. And we need to work together to get through this together. And, you know, that's why I feel, you know, in the Bible it talks about, you know, um, we have a comforter and now we're able to comfort others, right? Yeah, it's true. And so our struggles, when we go through our struggles, now we can help other people who go through those struggles. And so now that I've been through that, thank God that I went through it so now I can help someone and maybe they won't have to go through it. Yeah, your test became a testimony. You know, uh, that the mental health of of athletes, because I'm involved in coaching, it's way more than people even imagine. Like the girl from Stanford that just committed suicide. Um, the expectation on everybody just to to be the best to perform and 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 I was talking to a guy, like, the guy that I work out with last night. He he played at Wesleyan. He played ball at Wesleyan, and he and we were talking last night and jokingly talking, but seriously, how his dad hammered him mm-hmm. every game at home just constantly on him you know and and that, that and we pressure, do that to ourselves yes. so then we do it to ourselves and then we get it from others and it just adds on and it builds up and builds up and builds up so you're you just open a business um that you're gonna you're gonna focus on athletes mental health correct yeah and i saw where you were at ut this week um i don't know the in depth of that but t- yeah talk about yeah that a so bit. um uh, I was at UT for another reason. I'm looking at getting a job because right now I don't have enough money to support myself and my business. So I'm looking at get a job. I get University of Tennessee to, yeah. to survive. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but my business is called the Mental Health Collective for Athletes. Um, I did just get LLC status, so I'm super excited. Um, I, I can hardly contain it. Um, so what I'm going to do or try to do is centralize mental health resources for athletes. Um, so right now there's not a lack of resources. You would think there is, but there's really not. Mm. The problem is athletes don't know about them 
and they don't know how to get access to them. Creating awareness. So my company will bring all these resources onto one platform and say, hey, these are the resources that are out there. This is how you get access to them. Right. You can use my website to do that. And then um, that makes it so much simpler and so much easier. And I can offer that to athletes. And then I can also offer it to the University of Tennessee or, or Roberts University. I can say, hey, you can offer my platform to your athletes. Yes. Um, and so hopefully, again, uh, there are so many tragedies. Like we had a, a women's basketball player at ORU who lost her life to suicide. And if more people knew about these resources, we could literally save lives. Yeah. And people don't realize that, you know, the University of Tennessee, their football players, they get death threats when they have a bad game. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. And what they forget is the night before they played that football game, they might have been up all night studying for an exam that they had the next week. Because, you know, they're engineering majors. Like, they're, some of them are sports management majors. Some of them are biology majors, nursing majors. I mean, these guys, most of them are not going to the next level. So they have to earn a degree. Yeah, so they're that banking they can, on that degree to live. Exactly. Yes. And so these people, these athletes are not, like, that's not all they do. These are 18, 19, 20, 21-year-olds. I was a 24-year-old, but I was an anomaly. Um, (laughs) um, They are out there with uh, getting a degree. Some of them, a lot of them were working part-time because they're walk-ons. They're not getting a scholarship. Most of those athletes are not getting a scholarship. Now, Power 5 level is different. Um, They might have more people with scholarships. But where I went to school, most of our people were walk-ons. Yeah. And so we worked part-time jobs so that we could afford to live Right. on top of going to school every day, on top of studying for tests, on top of competing, on top of people, you know, ASPN and sports center accused, like just bashing us, not me. Cause I was not big enough to get bashed by ASPN, <laughs> but you know, the, these big athletes are getting bashed by all these public figures who are sitting on a desk, like living their best life. Yeah. And then Making millions. Yeah. And they, then, and criticizing. then, yeah. Yeah. And then all of that combines and then you have people who lose their life to suicide. Well, duh. Yeah. What? Yeah. How do you expect us to deal with it? Yeah. You're critiquing the one thing that's there is that, it's their ticket out of poverty. Yeah, and you that's know, and that's our know. release. That's yeah. our coping mechanism. But then you turn it into this thing that we have to, like this pressure, so now it's not even fun anymore. Mm, right. I mean, the thing that we loved the most, my sport, I hated running. Yeah. My senior year, I hated showing up to practice. I hated competing. You, you talk about something that gave me so much joy when I was in high school. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it turns into something that it's an expectation and it's a burden. Yeah. Like Roma said that quote earlier, when I run, I find pleasure, you know? Yeah. It brings me pleasure. You see the, the the reality is Bryce, you're not the first athlete to probably feel this way. And you're, you won't be the last athlete when we're competing for that corruptible crown that we're going to find ourselves hollow and empty Mm -hmm. because eventually it all ends. But the incorruptible crown, when we discover God's purpose, God's design, the intelligent, wonderful design that God has given each of us, that we were created for his good pleasure. You know, you, you said, you said something earlier in the show and I want to 
we're going to try to bring this to a close here. Um, you said you did those things for you, mm-hmm. for your for your credit, and you wanted to get glory. Let's bring this back to First Corinthians chapter nine. Paul Paul said, "I bring my body under subjection, lest by any means, when I have preached, that I myself should be a castaway." Mm. The Apostle Paul got to a point in his life where he said, "It's not important for people to know much about me, but it's important for people to know about Jesus." Mm. Yeah, he said, "It's not about me. It's not about you. It's all about Him." Yeah, and you know, you're you're on that path now. But God had to put you in that forge of adversity to get you to that place where you can now be a minister of this gospel. And and, and you're going to be able to help so many athletes and, and so many people who are, are, are struggling with, with mental health. I was reading an article, Paul, about that um, young lady, Katie Meyer. Yeah. Uh, and I read it earlier this week, but I didn't really, I didn't really make the connection. Um, and I want to try to post this on our, on our Truth Revival Facebook. But she says, the constant criticism, judgment, or this is what the article says, the daily grind mentality, knowing the difference between pain or soreness, and 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 telling you to push on, in a constant state of stress or fatigue. Mm. These athletes are under so much duress, and you know what happens? It's occurring at a younger and younger age. Yeah, AAU ball and parents wanting their kids to be hyper competitive. And Bryce, you are—I I heard a statistic that said less than ten percent of 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 high school athletes will go on. To play. And, and less than 1% of college athletes yes. will go yeah, to the next level. I was, was going to say okay. that, less so, than 1% of them. Yep. So ten, you're part of that that 10%, okay? And, and you just have natural God-given ability. You were you were extremely blessed. But you've got some parents who, you know, their child is going to go, they're going to be the next Michael Jordan. They're going to be the next, you know, um, gosh, who's a good football player right and you, now? And they didn't ask their son if they wanted to. Or their daughter, um, they're going to be the next. Who's that? Patrick Mahomes. Mm-hmm. You know, they're going to be the next um, Candace Parker, and so they're they're pushing their kids to play. You know, it, it, gosh, it bothers me whenever I hear parents who like, you know, Christian parents, and they, they you know, they claim to be saved, and their their family's under this umbrella. We're Christian people, but they don't come to church. And they, I mean, maybe they serve God privately, okay? But here's the deal. Christ loved the church. He died for the church. So the church is, is special to Christ. But you've got these people who, who claim to be saved, and yet they're taken into these um, coliseums and these, um, what do we call them? Uh, these groves of, of Baal worship and idol worship now that we, that, uh, that we call um, stadiums and um and parks and they take their kids and they spend all day on Saturday and Sunday a- doing AAU ball year round and and that's what their kids know their their kids know sports and they play sports and and how is it not become an idol it, it, it's becoming an idol and you know yeah. it's for a corruptible crown true but the parents think that well my child they got they got saved at bible school they're good and now they're going to be an athlete and 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 this is what we want to do and they're pursuing after that corruptible crown and Bryce I'm 
you've 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 experienced it. It's going to end one day. And when you're when you build your house on that sand, what happens when the storms of life come? You build your house on that sand and it's going to fall. Mm-hmm. But you build your house on a solid rock of Christ. You see, a lot of those kids, they'll probably never they're not skipping rocks, they're not climbing trees, they're not going on adventures. They're not going skiing or swimming. Or, There's no imagination. You, mm. you know, I mean, I mean, having having academic or athletic goals are great, great. But what happened to being a kid? Mm-hmm. What happened? And the, and there's a there's a place for all of those things. Like there's a place for AAU ball. There's a place for all those things. And it it's great to encourage your your kids to you know be active in sports. Um, but it's the competitive nature that's different. Oh yeah. Like when you're young, just have fun. Yeah. Just have fun. Just take them and have fun. Try different sports. Try different things. Try different mm-hmm. activities. And just let them enjoy it. Yeah. And then once they get old enough to an age where they want to be in competitive, then you can flip the switch. You see, Bryce, you, can, you can flip that switch, but you have to give them the opportunity to make the decision. It, it's, it's just go, it goes back to the same thing when we, have, we talk about faith. Yeah. They have to make the decision for themselves. Yeah. Please don't make it for them. And here's the trouble with parents nowadays. You know, we like you said, we've got to let the kid make the, the choice. I want to pursue this. But we, as godly people and godly parents, in wisdom, have to maintain the balance. Mm-hmm. Mm. And that's the trouble. The the parents don't know how to maintain the balance because they are uh, living their their past life through their kid now. Mm. You know, and that's a lot of the trouble. Chasing after that corruptible crown. Yep. So... Um, you know, Bryce, I wanted to say that he, Paul, the Apostle Paul says, I, I now become um, a castaway. And so, again, people came to him, but he didn't boast of his accomplishments. He just introduced people to the one who could help them find their true purpose, their true meaning, mm-hmm. acceptance. Um, and I hope that that's what you're getting ready to do. You know, that you're able to take all of these life experiences and whatever, but point them to Christ. Yes. Mm. Direct them to faith in Christ because, you know, you want to find your greatest fulfillment, your greatest joy. Meet the one who designed you, who created you, who sent his son Jesus to die on a cross for your sin. Your greatest source of, of joy will be when you come to reconciliation with God. Mm-hmm. When you're back reunited and in harmony with the Lord. And the only way we can be reconciled to God is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So um, just give us your clothes, closing thoughts. And uh, we're going to try to wrap this up. Paul, give us your closing thoughts. And then we're going to call today. Go ahead, Bryce. Yeah, yeah. So um, number one, I want to thank you guys uh, for having me. I want to thank God for allowing me to be here and all, all the things that um, again, I don't think, uh, God puts these things in our lives, these obstacles. Um, but I think, uh, as we mentioned before, God uses them for our good. And so I want to thank God for turning these things for my good and allowing me to have a platform to now help others and share his story so that they can have things turned for their good as well. Um, and, and so the last thing I'll say in my remarks is let's be vulnerable. Mm. Let's let's show the world how to be tough by being vulnerable. Because the more we do that, the more lives we can save. Amen. That's true. 
I um I I I remember I can't remember exactly where I read this, but um it was I think that I was going through a, a seminar on you know people achieving success at the next level and and Bryce based on this study and it was based on you know people who had um they were based on their GPA based on their socioeconomic background or based on whatever college they went to or based on where they were from you know and it talked about all of these 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 factors that led into people that how was success determined and success is not determined by money it's not determined by family it's not determined by your roots or wherever you're from but success is often determined by your resiliency how many times can you get knocked down and get back up how determined are you to press forward and the apostle paul said i press toward the mark mm. even when met with resistance and resiliency is the key to success in in any walk of life what about marriage I mean, Paul, are you married yet, Bryce? No. Okay. <laughs> One day you will. All right. But I'm going to tell you something. It's not. It's not like Disney makes it out to be. <laughs> Happily ever after. You've been married for a while, right, Paul? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. The key to a successful marriage, like you said, is is vulnerability, but also resiliency. Yes. You know, there's going to be hard days. There's going to be difficult days. There's going to be times when you got to make decisions. You got to be resilient. Um, the key to a successful career is, you know what, embracing those mistakes. The key to a successful ministry, I was talking to a, a man this morning about the ministry that, I, that I'm that i in. I've been pastoring now for over 11 years, and oh my goodness, I've made so many mistakes, but I've tried to learn mm. through those mistakes. Another common quote that we hear people now, you know, I don't lose in life. I either win or I learn. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's true. Right? And that type of mentality, I'm not going to quit. I'm going to persevere. I'm going to endure. Okay. And, and Bryce, this is one thing that I learned that I've learned through running. Okay. I'm not at your level, but (laughs) that mental struggle. (laughs) Well, I'm catching up to you. (laughs) He's going to start eating little Debbie's. No, 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 he's not. He'll catch up before. (laughs) But, uh, the, the, the pushing through those mental barriers, Right, we all face those mental barriers in our life, and, and asking have, for help when you need it. Right, asking for help when you need it, but but pushing through, pushing through, and um, and having having people in your corner, having people to surround yourself with, you know, for for positive reinforcement, people that are going to hold you accountable, people that you can be honest with, mm. like you said earlier, people that you can be vulnerable with, and that to me, that's my church family. My church family, I love the people that I go to church with, and I'm so thankful for people that I go to church with. You know, I'm blessed to have somebody like Paul Chapman. We we serve in the same church together. Brad Abernathy, he's another one of my best friends. My brother Lance, I've got many other men that I've surrounded myself with, and they help me. And there's some days, Paul, that that I'm weak. Yeah. Okay? But those guys, they hold me up. 
They hold me up. I'm going to start preaching again. I got to hush. Um, <laughs> but uh, Bryce, we've enjoyed having you. Thank you for coming on. Paul, close us up. You're talking about there in Corinthians about, you know, the corruptible crown. Listen to what Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 4. He says, for everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God and by prayer. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. Train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end, we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Mm. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, Bryce, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and impurity. And this is what I love about you on the airplane. Jesus, I give my life to you so I can give your life to them. Mm. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Bryce, thank you for coming on the show today. This has uh, been Truth Revival, episode 11 with Bryce Choke. And Paul Chapman. Hey, we're going to go out here and run, run a, a, a 40 yard dash and see who wins. Oh, my God. I, I can, didn't bring my snowshoes. Listen, I can, <laughs> I'm dangerous in a quick sprint. Easy now. <laughs> but uh, be sure to check us That's out. That's a on lot the of road. momentum, Paul. <laughs> uh, for real. <laughs> Crash and burn. At Facebook, at Truth Revival 37385. We're out of here, guys.